um, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Perspective. This is episode number four. Uh, my name's Molly. I'm here with my co-host, Logan, as well as a special guest that Logan's going to introduce in just a minute. Um, we had initially recorded a different episode for you guys a couple days ago, earlier this week, but with some recent events, uh, there were some some things that came up that we wanted to address. Uh, as most of you probably know by now, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park died by suicide this week. Um, he was found dead in his home on Thursday. And as people who are very passionate about mental health and about making sure we take care of ourselves and take care of each other, uh, Logan and I felt it was important to address some of those things on the show today, both uh, in, in regards to personal experiences as well as things surrounding Chester and all. Um, but yeah, Logan, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes. So there are many different ways to introduce this guest, but I will just start. I'll be nice. Um, his name is Brad. We, he has done a lot of YouTube videos, uh, for the past, I believe few years, um, kind of bouncing around the way that I did when I first started out until he kind of landed on his feet. Um, and we actually started a website together a few months ago, a few months ago called square one. And um, there's a lot behind there and a lot kind of going on over there, but I'll leave it at that for now. And um, Brad, if you want to introduce yourself, give a little bit of background, now is the time. Hey. Um, so uh, I guess I don't know where to start. I mean, my name is Brad. I, um, I always say Hi, Brad. like an emphasis. I don't know. That is a good place to start. Yeah, right, with my name. Um, So, yeah, I have a website. I've been doing YouTube interviews for a short while. I've never really talked about myself. This is weird. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've done YouTube interviews for the past like three years or so, and um, I don't know. I, I have a YouTube blog. I've done. I I don't know. I it's weird because like I always um I've always like had like three or four different music blogs over the past like years, and this one's finally the one that sticks. So like starting square one is actually kind of really important, I guess if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's just um. I do a lot, I guess. <laughs> um, I wanna, I wanna interject before we go more into Brad's background. Uh, for anyone listening, Brad actually is the one who designed our logo for Perspective. So even if you haven't uh, checked out any of his interviews or anything, which by the way you totally should, you've seen some of his graphic design work via the Perspective logo. Um, well, cool. So Brad, I didn't realize you had done so many different things before in terms of blogs and interviews and everything what I, I mean what what first got you interested in interviewing bands and and this whole world so it, it's it's I don't know it's kind of weird um the one thing I think that uh really got me in was when um the youtuber Brian Stars would make his you know his, uh stupid little uh <laughs> you know uh internet whatever videos and he would ask those stupid questions or whatever but but all i saw was you know that he was hanging around with like bands and like talking to them and like all that stuff so um i think that that really like sparked it and then um i don't i'm not necessarily that interested into him now but um i've always had like a youtube background so even when i was um 
in high school, I started a music blog, or not a music blog, but uh, it was a YouTube channel that uh, my first video, they were all like lyric videos, but my first video was like lyrics to like Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams. So like... Um, TBT. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, throughout everything, I think that um, I have always like been on YouTube, so YouTube's always been very important to me. I actually even ran a uh, Let's Play channel uh, with The Sims 3 and 4 um, way back when, like I think three or four years ago. And uh, so I started that, and that gained like a noticeable amount of credibility. So like actually that's why I have like 1,400 uh, followers on Twitter is because I gained such a big following from that. So a lot of them are just inactive. So um in case you were wondering why I'm so popular, but not, I don't know if that makes sense, but whatever. <laughs> so like, they're fake friends. Basically. <laughs> yes. I am the biggest fake friend, uh, person in the ever world. That right. makes sense. It's cool. Um, yeah. So then I think once I, um, started like watching more of Brian stars and what he did and then, um, really, Wanting to pursue it came from a uh, fellow like YouTuber slash AP correspondent Tori Kravitz, and um, when I saw what she did, that kind of really inspired me to keep it going and actually like find like a goal in this industry, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like just people that I look up to. Definitely, no that that totally makes sense. Um, I was actually curious. Something that I've never asked either one of you, uh, how do you guys know each other? Um, so <laughs> it's actually, so one of the people that writes for uh, Square One is, uh, his name is Craig. And so me and Craig were talking because I actually met Craig through um, a band that I do a lot of public relations work for and social media stuff. And um, they're called Trusting Obscurity. They're not together anymore. But um, Hallie still plays music, and she was the front woman. And um, so my good friend Hallie from Cleveland actually knew Craig because he had done press work when he was at Black Scroll Radio at Kent State. So um, because he was there, I uh, was asking him. I think I think I reached out to him or someone at Black Squirrel for uh, press op for uh, Trusting Obscurity. And when I reach out with that, it like we I kind of think we added each other over time. So like Hallie knew Craig and then um, I asked Craig like because I knew he did the YouTube interview thing. I asked Craig if he wanted to like make a, you know, music site similar to Stage Right Secrets, which would have a bunch of, uh, you know, interviewers on YouTube that would talk and like um just talk to bands and basically just upload interviews make it more uh focused on video content so um then i think logan was actually added in the group chat with that had been um started and we clicked ever since so we were kind of meant to be if that makes sense we were definitely meant to be it was it was a very it was kind of funny because when this whole thing started out i think there were like 15 people in this group chat and like half of them didn't do anything. And so Isn't that like the story of any music blog though? <laughs> it's it I mean, is. Let's, let's be real. It's it's very much so. And it reminds me of high school when you have this big group project and only like three people do everything and everyone else is just chilling and they're like, Yeah, I'm gonna get credit and then it's like, No, you suck at your life, stop it. So it it's kind of funny that like somehow 
like of all those people like we kind of stuck around and i don't know it's it's been a lot of fun um you know it's one of the interesting things is i could have been up with brad recently um except i decided to go on vacation to new york so i kind of like ruined everything so that's as as always right that's basically the story of my life but you know so eventually that time will come i believe but um yeah i mean he kind of got it down that's pretty much how we met and then here we are you know growing as humans so brad are you so brad you are the official like creator person in charge of square one basically i mean i um i credit craig to a lot of everything um he's not as involved in square one as i am um but yeah so i consider myself to be like the founder of square one and then um i credit logan to be the uh editor-in-chief if that makes sense so yeah that makes sense because i honestly um like no matter like what like Craig would have done with the site or whatever, like I'm just glad that like you know he brought this group together because we also have a guy named John who went to New York to do interviews and um his interviews are turning out like really well for a uh you know um first like whatever you know he's he's it's like his first time doing this sort of thing so it's it's kind of cool to like see him like you know because I just put up his Anna Flag interview today and um which is kind of cool to see you know because when I was editing it I was like this dude's so nervous but it's so cool because I remember you know how I felt when I would interview bands like that you know see that like full circle yeah, right thing. I, I mean I just uploaded an interview with Courage My Love on Thursday and they were the and first. they were like one of the first that you had interviewed so this was like your your follow-up right right um so i have a question for you brad uh so one of the things that logan and i talked about on our first episode the introduction was the fact that (laughs) we are both so terrified at the idea of being on camera for an interview for you know several reasons uh it's something neither logan or myself have done did you have any like i guess stage fright or or anything um in terms of being on camera for the first time it's kind of actually like really funny that you bring that up um because when i first like when i was a kid i think i think that's where i'll start when i was a kid i always wanted to like do something that i was like known for like i was like craving like just like attention yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) and um so when I found out that like I wasn't very athletic um I kind of went towards uh either being like a weatherman or a sports announcer and those were like the only two things that like I had known but then oh my god (laughs) weird because well because when I would play video games I would actually announce the uh I would announce the like game the play like the uh playstation like if i played like nhl or mlb whatever like i would announce it on the couch like i would you know that's like where my inspiration comes from so then um as i got older i started getting more and more into music and i started listening like green day some 41 and i a lot of the bands that i listened to like you can accredit a lot of you know where i found them to video games like i found out about yellow card through i think it was like one of the nfl 
Madden games when they had fighting on there. And then I listened to like more and more of them. And, you know, some 41's underclass hero got me into a lot of the music because it was on a video game. Um, so it's just a lot of that. And then like, I saw what Brian stars did. And then I saw that, but in high school, I even took a video class and I was afraid of being on camera. Like that was one of the first things I did not want to do is be on camera. Cause I was like always afraid of being judged. But then, um, then I think, I think it was like junior year. I finally got over it and I just decided like, you know, screw it. I'll just go with it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, now um, I have no problem. Like, I know a lot of people, even if I interview bands, a lot of people, um, you know, are nervous on camera or, you know, don't how to re- know how to react. And they'll be like, do I look at you or the camera? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do it naturally. <laughs> I have. So my day job for anyone listening, I, I have two day jobs, one of which is that I work at a music video promo company called Hip Video Promo. Uh And part of what I do there, a very small part of what I do is that I co-host like a weekly uh, Facebook live stream. Uh, So it's just like me and one of the interns and we get on for like 10 or 15 minutes, uh, kind of just talking about like whatever videos we've been working on that week. And it's really bizarre because it's, you know, it's different than an interview uh, because I'm doing all the talking, you know, we're not like asking questions, but it's really nerve wracking being on camera. And I, I mean, I guess this is different because it's a live setting. So people are watching like right now. But I, I even realize with something that's live on the one hand, if you have something like an Instagram live where, you know, you're live and then the thing just goes away. Like that's one thing. But this Facebook live, they save the video. So like people can see me and all of my weird like, you know, however i handle myself on camera like people can see that and it's saved forever that's that's Uh, honestly why i never go facebook live i cannot i can't do it like as much as i love being on camera i can never do it live nerve-wracking it's nerve-wracking yeah i was i was very nervous uh the first time we had to do it but um we we finished it up and then my boss said that was great that was better than when i used to do it so i mean it's it's so far gone well and it's been you know it's it's proven to be kind of fun uh still very nerve-wracking though because you know last week when we did it um i didn't realize we were doing it on the day we were gonna do it so like i wore i didn't wear a shirt i would have wanted to wear i didn't think to like make my hair look halfway decent or anything so it was it was a trip but (laughs) yeah um Sorry. No, 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 no. Just commenting. Go ahead. No, I. Uh, so I, I did want to start switching gears here, um, and and we can go back to talking about you know some of your background if you want, but uh, something that and and for anyone listening, uh, you know, Brad, we have wanted to have him on the show, you know, since we started the thing. Um, he designed our logo, as I said before, uh, and we did have some other topics of conversations originally planned to chat about with him, but um, I I do want to take some time to talk about Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park passing away uh, this week. Yeah, it's definitely something when we kind of, you know, after the whole news broke out, we kind of immediately knew that we wanted to talk about it and... Um, it's it's going to be 
interesting to see, you know, kind of what happens, you know, moving forward. I know that, you know, this is the second time now in the past, I think two months, I think it was two months ago, um, when Chris Cornell, um, you know, tragically passed away as well. So I think that, you know, with this, I don't, I don't know how to, you know, kind of put it, but I hope that there's a discussion that comes up about this because I think it's a very real thing that people have been ignoring for a long time. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, this, this kind of thing has been around um, for a while and it's never really gotten, a, I don't know, it's never really gotten like a good, like healthy discussion about it, I think, as far as like musicians and their mental health. I think it's kind of something that, a lot of people would just say that, oh, they have nothing to be sad about. You know, they don't, you know, what can they possibly be sad about? So, so not true. Right. It's wrong. And I think, you know, it's just, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and there were those tweets, uh, there, I'm oh, sorry, there's just the one tweet and he put it in notes that Jeff Rickley had um, from Thursday when someone asked him about this, um, the night that Chester Bennington you know, died. And he said that I think there's a lot of pressure on musicians, specifically frontmen um, and front women who like, they're kind of like the face of the band. And Haley Williams has been like more open about this too, which is kind of interesting. And I think that's a really good um, thing that she's doing, but you know, there's a lot of pressure on them because as being the face of the band, so to speak, you know, they're the first ones that get credit when something goes wrong. And also they get blamed tremendously, you know, when, something adversely goes terribly wrong. And that's a lot of like weight to bear on your shoulders. And I mean, obviously I have a lot of weight to bear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have never felt that personally, but you know, from what I have, you know, my own kind of like history with mental health and you know, all of that, it, it's, it was enough for me and the setting that I was in where I felt, you know, the pressure from like friends and family and all of that. So I can't imagine, you know, you have your friends and family and you have your fans who, you know, they don't, really care about your mental health. I, w- I mean, I, I mean, I think there are fans who care, but I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are just like, again, they, they don't think anything can go wrong that they're, you know, they're there for the music. And even with Linkin Park's last album, it was, you know, noticeably different and people were like, well, this is trash, you know? And so yeah. I think that's a very tough thing to deal with. And I think a lot of people don't look at it like that, but I hope that there can be some discussion for that. It's um. It's also like in in Lincoln Park's case, it's it's insanely um even more so. It's like, you know, you think about it even more because again, they just released a new album which was incredibly different sounding, and the entire album is just like very diverse from what they've you know created in the past, and a lot of people were very very closed off to it. Um, for me even, I didn't listen to the full album because I thought it wasn't going to be my taste. Um, I started dipping more into it once my, uh, friend, uh, started, um, listening to it and he's a diehard, huge Linkin Park fan. And, um, he started, got into it because it's, you know, very personal and about, you know, um, Chester's struggles and, you know, the struggles that the band has gone through as a whole and things like that. So, 
I think that it's it's a very respectable album, like no matter how you look at it. And um, there's actually videos of them playing Hellfest in the last like six months or so um, where they played uh, Heavy, which, um, by the way, features Kiara, which I would have never expected from them. And um, they were at Hellfest and they played Heavy. And even um, the comment feeds on that video were like, you know, metal dessert or pop deserves no place at a metal fest and um, stuff like that. And then in the video, um, there were times where he was getting like buckets thrown at him and things like that and there was just so many he nearly got terrible off the stage and you know when the you know someone's you know singing their heart out it's not even like it's a real pop song you know like because you know pop songs sometimes aren't that deep you know I mean I could think of like Kesha when she released praying but like you know for yeah. a pop album Linkin Parks is actually kind of really heavy like in like the emotion but I, I would no, it, it absolutely is. But I, I mean, I would even say a, a couple of things about that. That I mean, number one, if if you look at the emotional content of any Linkin Park song, going back to Numb, for example, exactly. I mean, they they've never held back in that sense. And and yeah, I think this album took more pop influence than you know probably their others had. But I mean, to be fair, Linkin Park did something that you know they mixed some pop and rock and metal with bits of rap which is well and it's like it's, it's like, like people never saw this like, coming sorry it's like people never saw this coming it's like fallout which, boy like people are surprised that yeah, they're making right music, right know? people like, are people like are like surprised right and with i mean we we you know we don't have to go out on a fallout boy tangent right, right now no, no, no i understand yeah but i i think so something that this whole situation brings to mind, as, as you both were talking and stuff that I've talked about uh, with with other people with this too, um, I've seen so many people say that they were shocked about Chester. Um, and I think, I think, frankly, I... I really hate saying that I am shocked um, because truthfully, deep down, I'm not. Um, I don't I don't think that I don't think like I say I said I'm shocked. Like I said that this right. does not feel real. I think um, a lot of people, I don't think that they're necessarily shocked. It's that they can feel I think. There's, you know, a difference between, you know, a state of shock and like being shocked that, you know, it happened or being surprised. So I think people are more so in a state of shock. Like they, you know, don't want to believe that it is real. No, definitely. Definitely. But, but, um, I know some people were surprised. Right. But what I, what I wanted to go, to go into from that, I mean, you know, Chester dove into so many heavy, heavy topics in his lyrics um and even in interviews he'd be pretty candid about it um and i think there's you know and i will say this so i've i've talked about my mental health right like i've i'm in a documentary talking about my mental health uh talking about like some of my deepest darkest uh experiences in life right and i've written a couple really really personal things that are on the internet for the whole world to read um but you know the fact that someone is open about what they're going through 
doesn't mean they don't still struggle. Um, I don't know if either of you guys are fans of sorority noise, but Cam has always been, Cam from sorority noise has always been very well spoken about this. Um, you know, I, I've seen, and, and this is not to say this is a bad thing, but like I've seen so many bands that will get on stage and say, oh, I used to be depressed, but then I, you know, got help and now I'm better. Um, and that's really cool. And I think that's good. And I think people should show that there is hope. But, um, you know, Cam is someone who's very, very open with his struggles and he'll straight up get on stage and be like, you know what? Today is a bad day. Um I like that a lot. Yeah. And I think I think there's this idea that like if you're open about what you've gone through mentally, emotionally, uh personally in whatever aspects, um I think there's this misconception that if you're open about these things that you're not struggling anymore. And and it's something that to some extent I I felt a, a very 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 small amount of pressure compared to what someone like Chester has, but you know, it's like I can I can write something and, and publish it or talk about something in a documentary. Uh, and, you know, people people might see that and be like, OK, well, like you talked about how you've struggled with depression and how you have panic attacks and take medication and stuff. And, you know, I, I think there's a misconception that if you talk about it. It means you're you're healed. Right. Um, and talking about it is huge you know there's a big stigma around mental mental health and and mental illness and getting help um for for drug addiction or depression or or thoughts of suicide or anything there's a huge stigma around it um and we do have to talk about it to you know get rid of that stigma to to make people understand that it's real but talking about it isn't enough you know we need to get people the resources to get help and and we need to understand that you know it it does take i mean for the record some people are are never ever going to be comfortable publicly talking about their life or mental illness or anything like that and that's fine some people are just not interested or or willing or don't care to be so open that's fine um but I think we need to really understand that the fact that, you know, it it takes a lot of strength and courage to bear bits of yourself to the world, whether that's through, you know, talking on a podcast or writing or making music, whatever it is. Um, But the fact that someone has the courage to talk about what's going on in their life doesn't mean they're not still battling those demons. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it's a good one. I think it's fairly accurate. I think that, you know, and I don't know what there is behind that. I think it's maybe, you know, just a, it's a very clear misunderstanding, you know, and kind of like, you know, like you said, it's very important to talk about it. That's, that's one of the things that like I kind of said a while ago that we, you know, I hope comes out of all this is that people talk about it and they, you know, but you can't just talk about it, you know, if you don't really understand what's going on. I think, you know, sometimes you'll see people who will talk about it and then, you know, they might not fully understand it, which is fine. You know, it's it's something that if you haven't experienced it, you're not going to fully understand it. But I think there should be some sort of willingness to at least try to understand what's going on and not immediately, you know, kind of shoot it down and say, well, you know, 
how you know, I think how can you feel this way is something that's always kind of brought up and I see that a lot um, and people just don't understand and again you don't have to necessarily understand but you know in, in a sense because it's hard you know if I think if it's you're on about willing to be you know open to you know understanding what someone is kind of kind of going through because um, there's a difference between you know not full I mean I have um for me, uh, for people that don't know, I actually struggle with uh, bipolar. So it's actually not even depression. It's like straight up just a mood disorder. So um, a lot of, you know, people don't actually understand that. And it's it's hard because like even my uh, my psychiatrist for a long time didn't know whether to diagnose me with um, ADHD or uh, bipolar, you know, regardless. I mean, when I was um, when I was younger, I had ADD, but I didn't ever... Um, get fully diagnosed for bipolar until recently. So, um, it was like, I think been three years now or four years, but, um, it's, it's just very, it's a very common misconception that, uh, even my boss, like, um, you know, there are times where he says that I can be very aware of, um, you know, cause it affects how I, you know, do my job at uh, work. And so sometimes he says that I can be very aware of how I'm feeling and I can, you know, take steps to, um, like, coordinate with that you know if that makes any sense to kind of just you know not it's not necessarily about um trying to eliminate you know your issue but um you know I, I don't know I don't know I don't know how to like explain it but he'll he'll you know say that you know sometimes I can be very aware of it and then sometimes I can straight hit straight up like hit manic moments and nobody will and I will not know at all and like it's weird how much like stuff like that I go through like affects people and I don't re I never really actually realized it until um I was broken up with I think like um last November ish or something like that and it's very it's very real to see like how you know my actions can affect certain other people's you know the way they take things and stuff like that so I think um like all together it's about like understanding someone and not like really understanding I, I don't know what i'm trying to say no i i get a lot of that you know it is it, it's very much of trying to just have a willingness to understand what they're going through you don't have to fully understand it because it's hard and if you don't go through it then it's even harder to kind of look at that and be like oh well i can at least see where you're coming from because you might not well but, a lot of my friends like i don't even you know whether or not i try to um you know, actually say the right things that might make them feel better. I think, I think that's not the way I look at it is that, you know, a lot of people don't know how to make someone feel better. You know, I don't think it's necessarily about that. I think it's, um, you know, what I found that helps when I talk to my friends about, you know, stuff or, you know, their battles or whatever they're going through. I think that, um, I think that letting them know that like you're there like no matter if you can like fix the problem i think that you know right for them having someone to actually like listen to um about what they're going through is good for them so even um just you know being there is something that's like incredible it it is and i think it it makes a bigger difference than people probably realize um i mean i had you know and and without going into details because this isn't about me um but i had a friend who was having a really really hard time over the winter and you know i've i've known people who have died by suicide um 
And I, I think because of that, that I'm, you know, I do tend to be aware even when someone's like posting on Facebook or Twitter and like, looks like they're really, you know, not doing well. Um, I try to make an effort to check in. And, uh, I had a friend last fall that was really having a hard time and, you know, kept posting some things that, that really made me concerned. And, you know, I'd, I'd message him and, and just say like, Hey, you know, what's going on? Like, do you want to talk? Like, I'm here for you. And, um, he never, he, he was not super talkative. Um, and some people just aren't, which is fine, you know, but he, he told me like a couple months later that, you know, just knowing that I was there for him and like willing to be there if he needed someone was huge, you know? And, it's, and I, can, really, I can, it's really awesome that like you told that story. Cause I have a similar one. Um, with uh you know my twitter posts have gotten like very vague over the last few months like very very just you know making my friends like not you know i try to lessen that now because i used to be very bad with like just blatantly telling my feelings and i feel like you know you should kind of censor it but um it's it's good that um like what i did or whatever like i would post something and actually it was nick from the swellers who um or the the ex-swellers whatever but um nick uh, Diener had actually reached out to me and like, I think, um, that was like three or four months ago or something like that. And, um, now with like everything happening with Lincoln park and Chester and everything, like I, I messaged him yesterday and I asked him if he was at warp tour. And like, then I asked him if, uh, that I'm just grateful that, you know, he did, you know, that he was there for me, that I had someone. Cause a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. And I think, you know, I, I think they're afraid to reach out. Yeah, I think they're afraid to reach out. And this is so any anyone who knows me really well uh, or has followed me and, and Circles and Salmos for a while probably knows that Major League is a band that meant an incredible amount to me. Uh, and part of that was because they were one of the first to really go out of their way to, you know, really make sure I could get a photo pass. They would always be willing to do interviews. Um, but their music also really connected with me, right? Um, and I, uh, so I got the opportunity. So my friend Mike uh, runs an organization called Zero Platoon, focusing on uh, like mental health for people in the military, which is really, really cool. Um, and, and he was doing an interview with Brian and asked me to record, to like come hang out and help him record the audio. So I was like, hell yeah, you know, I'll, I'll hang out and, and be there for it. And, um, Brian, Brian is someone who's struggled with depression. Uh, and it was interesting for me, by the way, when I first learned that about Brian, because, you know, yeah, he, he talked about some stuff in, in songs like seasons, but he never was like explicit about it. Um, and, and, you know, so like when I heard that, you know, he had experienced a lot of the same things that I had, um, and it wasn't just me making up these connections in my mind with the songs, you know, it was kind of reassuring. So it's like, you're not alone. Um, but so we're doing this interview and he starts talking about the idea of, of suicide being selfish you know that's i mean that's a very common thing people say suicide is self selfish you know in in the condition in the case of chester you know he had six kids right he had a band um 
he had a wife. I mean, he he had all these people who wanted him to be here. Um, people say suicide is selfish. You know, why didn't you think of your friends or your family? And in this interview, Brian from Major League was saying that, you know, you do. You do think of them. And and oftentimes when you are so depressed or hurting so much that you are at that low point where suicide does seem like an answer, you genuinely feel like a burden to everyone. I mean, like you really like in your in your heart of hearts feel like you are a burden to everyone and you feel like if you were gone, things would be easier for them. Right. And uh, I think that's not true. You know, obviously it's not true that like you're, you're a burden to anyone, but you know, when, when you're struggling with mental illness or anything in your life, I mean, that can really, I mean, it does cloud your way of thinking so much, you know, you, you think you're a burden and it, it seems like a solution, you know, and, and I mean, people, I think it's good that people will spread like anti-suicide messaging, but, you know, sometimes people who, who haven't been there themselves don't necessarily know how, how to phrase things or or what kind of things are going to be helpful. Um, You know, I kind of want to, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I I was just going to say that to kind of go off of that, I think it is, I think you're right. And people were going to say, like you said, the selfish. And I think it's the exact opposite, you know, and when you are in that place, it's, you think about them so much. And, you know, from my own personal experience and having gone through this and having, you know, even attempted suicide, you know, when I was 16, I think that it's like, you, you, from an outsider's perspective, you're not obviously in that person's head, so you don't really know. But from my own experience, I would say that you do think about them to the point where, like you said, you think it's just easier without you. And, and that's obviously not a good feeling, right? And to get to the point where in your head, you're like, okay, I'm not any sort of, you know, contribution to society, to my family. I just, you know, what do I do? What do, what can I possibly do that's going to be better living than, you know, just not being here at all? And that's really like heavy thing to bear on yourself. And so if you, it's really heavy. If you don't, if you don't go through that and, and it's hard to kind of put yourself in that mindset because you don't want to be there. So if you're someone who's like, if you have a friend who is struggling and I say, if you've never experienced any kind of depression or suicidal thoughts, it's hard. You don't want to think about that, right? You don't want to be someone and it's hard to put yourself in that kind of place. And I want to ask somebody to kind of come to that headspace. And, you know, if I was going through that again, I would never want one of my friends to think about those things because it's hard. I would just, you know, you can't really expect them to feel those things, but you can, you know, at least kind of hope that someone can, you know, at least be there to listen when you have these things. So that's one of the, you know, that is a really important thing. And sometimes, and I'm not saying that, you know, just talking about it solves everything because it certainly doesn't, but it is something where if you're going through those things and you do feel like you're such a burden and having someone who's like, Hey, you're not, I'm here. Let's talk about it. 
I can't, you know, I might not be able to help, but I don't want you to feel like that, you know, and right. that's you know, a very big thing. It's, I, um, I think you get a, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I think with talking about things too, and, and, uh, for the record, and I do want to set this straight, um, you know, to talk about your, your experiences in life, but you know, disclosure, that's not a substitute for professional help. Right. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, I, I think there's something really powerful about it, if you're able. And again, like I said before, not everyone is comfortable with with sharing themselves so publicly. And that's fine. But, you know, I've, you know, recently heard a, a podcast where someone that, you know, like I I had like tangentially was like familiar with. And then they did this podcast where they talked about some very personal things in their life. Um and I shot them a message and I was like, you know, this really connected with me. Thank you for doing it. Um, and I've, you know, I've since sh- written some and shared some pretty personal things recently. Right. And it's like it connects with it connects with people and, and it hopefully it connects with people. Right. Um, I wrote a, a piece, like a kind of review about the band Free Throw's new album, Bear Your Mind. And uh, that gained a decent amount of traction online people really responded to it um and when i interviewed the singer Corey uh about a month ago i asked him what it was like to you know what it was like when people came up to him and said hey i really relate to this song um because on on the album bear your mind Corey talks a lot about his experiences with anxiety excuse me with anxiety and uh drinking and body image it's a very personal album um and he talks about loss too and he said that when people say they relate to it it makes him feel less alone you know it's i think it's i I mean that's just like it makes total sense right right that he would say it but you know we as you know we're i mean we're we all you know the the three of us here on the show right now are all like in the music industry involved in some way but we're music fans we're not musicians primarily right and and we as as listeners you know we think about wow this song relates to me as a listener and it makes me feel less alone and, and i never really thought until Corey put into words that wow it it actually does means something to the people who wrote the songs when well, when they hear that people understand and relate to what they're saying. One of my um favorite alternative press articles I think that I've ever read in a magazine is um I actually still have it. It's the um it's when the Wonder Years released their last album No Closer to Heaven and um it talks about, you know, how Dan went into you know recording the album and i think they even talked to some uh with his producer and um his producer basically told uh every you know the writer or whatever that uh when they were recording the song cigarettes and saints um they he actually dan was on the floor crying by the end of the song like when he was recording it like he was on the floor like it was you know just very very um 
hard, you know, just it's, it's very hard to, you know, record some of those things. And I, I think especially, um, you know, when you can hear in the production, how raw someone's voice sounds and how, you know, you can, see, you can basically hear it, you know, and that's why, you know, one of the bands that I love so much is Beartooth even because in a lot of Caleb Shomo's, uh, he's very, very raw. He's very, you can, you can almost hear it in his voice that this song is him. You know, it's very cathartic. And um, Grayscale's new album even is kind of like that at times. And um, you can hear it's it even really more good. when you hear them live. Because when Grayscale plays live, Colin is very, very just, uh, he was crying on stage at the As It Is OK tour. Um, you know, it's very, um, just very cathartic for him. And even in our interview that I did with him, he said it's, you know, a very, very, just very good release for you know, him to kind of cope with those things that he goes through. Yeah, I, you know, it's, that's kind of the point that I think a lot of people miss as well, you know, and it's, it, it kind of goes back to again, what I said at the beginning, I hope people start to talk about this more and understand that, you know, these musicians I mean, obviously there are people, right? And then, so for them to write these things, you don't just come up with and write something out of the blue nowhere. It comes from some place inside of you. So if there's, you know, if you're sitting here and say, you know, when I was younger, I had like this list of songs I would listen to when I was in a certain headspace. And they were all, for the most part, like relatively, like really sad songs. And it would, it would kind of make me feel better. And, and I think, you know, at that point, you have to also realize that, Obviously, they're not in the best of, you know, headspaces either for them to write this song. And it's not to say that, you know, it's always like they're not always depressed. But I think it comes from a very real place inside of them, you know. And everyone can battle these kind of things. And it's kind of rough, you know, when you get older and especially being kind of, you know, involved in music, you start to see it, you know, and you start to see musicians talk about it more and it's kind of like wow really i didn't see that coming like for example when um jared from bowling for soup he kind of talked about this recently that was like you know he made the point of when he started talking about how he feels you know sad and depressed sometimes and people looked at him and said but you're the funny guy you know how can you be like how can you be like that? Because you know. But how many how many comedians have have struggled with? You no, know, that, that's actually. Um, I don't know if you guys watch The Daily Show even, but um, Trevor Noah, the um, you know, the new host, whatever he's been doing right. for. He um went on an interview with ABC News talking about like how Donald Trump is racist and like all these things, but then he goes into talking about race itself as a whole and how um. Like, I'm not going to get on some, like, racist tangent or whatever, but when he was younger, he grew up in Africa, and Africa is a very, like, there are there are a lot of rules that, you know, one race can't be with the other or, you know, and... Oh, and, yeah. And so, um, you know, even when he was a kid, his mom was uh, shot by his father, actually, and at one point, like, you know, they thought that she wasn't going to make it. And it was a headshot, too. But she's, you know, here and his family has lived through that. And one of the points that he makes in the interview is that he thinks that, you know, a joke or, you know, comedy is, you know, the vision of how we see ourselves at our best. You know, that's like, you know, laughter is kind of a reminder of our best self. And if we can, you know, come back up to that, I think that, you know, 
it's just it's just about comedians cope the same way or like a similar way as musicians do you know that's their content and they're you know creating it because you know it kind of gets them away from whatever they're dealing with definitely and and i think i mean i'm i'm not a comedian um no i I will say comedy actually right (laughs) right no i mean i will i will say this i do think sometimes i can be very funny on the internet um but i'm not a comedian but you know, for so my other day job is that I work for PETA two as the youth outreach assistant, um, which basically means I'm coordinating reps and volunteers and hiring and training people and doing all this stuff with tour sponsorships all over the country. Um, I love it. It's such a cool job, you know, to combine a cause I'm passionate about with, you know, an, an industry that I love and and just learning so many different things and and working with people and helping people help animals is it's really cool right but you know being that part of what i do is book travel and coordinate people's travel and everything you know there's there's stress right and it's not to say stress is going to make me like not do it but sometimes when you have like those periods of stress like oh my god someone just missed their flight or whatever and you have to like figure it out and and deal with it and it's like late on a friday night or or whatever it is um sometimes just the way i deal with stuff is like i just start laughing and and it's it's not to say i'm i'm laughing cuz i don't take things seriously cuz i do i absolutely do you know but sometimes and this is maybe like you could argue it's maybe a defense mechanism but i can't be the only one who you know sometimes something goes wrong or it's like my computer is not working or, or anything like that something goes wrong at work or whatever and you just kind of start laughing at how absurd it is that things are going wrong because you know that's easier than like getting getting upset about it or getting stressed right out. you know it's then, then, then wallowing in it yeah right that's the biggest thing for me i like to like i don't know i i like to do that i like because it's 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 kind of like weird but like i'm i don't know i do that all the time and things go wrong and i'm just like oh haha, of course they do why not you know and like it's kind of like funny it was like say amazing like amazing. oh yeah this like, is oh, happening right now this is so great yeah i'm just like oh yeah this is awesome <laughs> i'm so happy with the way everything's going we have a kind of a saying at PETA too um that you know, for for all of the touring and, and traveling outreach people and everything, we have a saying, uh, embrace the hilarity of gig life, right? And obviously that, you know, in that context pertains to being a traveling activist and dealing with all of the shit that happens on tour, <laughs> which shit happens on tour. Uh, for anyone listening, if you've been on tour, you know that. If you've never been on tour, highly recommend it but shit will happen there are vehicle troubles show troubles event troubles you can't find parking the weather's bad someone is an asshole to you i mean shit happens but you just have to kind of roll with it and you know something i think there was i think there was even a green day interview from back in the day where they uh it was from like 1994 or something like that where they were like you know everything could go wrong but we're on tour and like it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right and, and like you kind of have to embrace things sometimes you know and and take things for what they are and understand that 
and this sounds so cheesy and cliche, but take things for what they are and embrace that it's part of the adventure. It's part of who you are. Right. Right. I I always like to think that, you know, even though, you know, what I'm going through may be rough or whatever, like I always tell myself like, I'll be fine. I'll be okay. You know, cause I, it's, I don't know. And sometimes I hate it. Cause sometimes I rely on a lot of other people for, you know, for me to actually survive what I'm doing. Cause I'm usually stupid, but, um, right. Right. But like, I feel Same. like, you know, you know, giving yourself that mindset that, you know, there are not necessarily trying to, you know, lessen what you're going through or you know your pain or whatever but there are people that do have you know certain situations worse so like if I'm driving down the highway and like my car is about to like break down or something I just tell myself that you know I'll eventually hopefully be fine like I'm not gonna die because like my car's on the side of the road or whatever I'm going through you know I just feel like right it's kind of it just doing that makes me feel comfortable right I, I mean, I, I think something, you know, so I I had knee surgery earlier this year, right? Um, I had surgery for my ACL on my right knee and I had a meniscus tear. Uh, this was my fourth knee surgery and it was my third time having ACL surgery. Um, the ACL, I don't know how familiar anyone listening is with uh, knee anatomy and orthopedics, but the ACL is kind of the main ligament that stabilizes the knee. Uh, I tore it in my left knee doing gymnastics in 2006, tore it in my right knee in cheerleading in 2009, had surgery then. Uh, and, you know, I, I tell people, oh, I just I just had ACL surgery. And because I am a quote unquote punk, you know, or or vaguely, you know, <laughs> heavily invested in alternative culture i i get a lot of people going oh did you like bust it uh skateboarding on the half pipe or people think i like hurt it in a mosh pit or something sure um, did that's what i would say I'm like yeah bro right, right but but i didn't even right like i <laughs> so so when you have acl surgery they can't just sew the torn ligament back together uh because it will not heal so they have to reconstruct it with a graft and what like they they give you a new ACL. They screw it in place, fix it with one screw on either side. Um I what happened was the graft had essentially become lax. Uh I think the technical term is that it was like a really really severe sprain. Um but basically it was like a bungee cord that totally stretched out. And it was to the point where like despite not being torn I still needed to have ACL surgery, right? Uh, and because I've also had multiple meniscus tears, I have arthritis in my knee. And like, that sucks, by the way, like would not recommend any of this stuff. Take care of your body, like be be careful. Um, but, you know, I I found out I was getting ACL surgery for the third time. And like, I've, I've had the same orthopedist for all of all of these surgeries since 2006. And I was like, oh, so I heard that on the fourth time, if you get ACL surgery a fourth time, they give you like a frequent buyer card and you get to do it yourself, you know, just kind of making jokes about it. I feel like that's actually accurate, too. I feel like you do start getting a punch card. Right. So having had, you know, multiple surgeries, like it sucks. And I've, you know, I'm, I'm at a point where like on the one hand, it's like, OK, I'm so I'm about 
uh, oh, yesterday marked four months since my surgery. So I am like on a day-to-day functional basis, I am much better, which is awesome. That's um, exciting. Yeah, it's it's huge. I, I still need to wear a knee brace when I go to shows uh, just because of like being in a crowd and stuff. But, you know, I even and the knee brace is like kind of obnoxious and annoying. Um, but I, I even, you know, I, I just you just roll with it. Um, you know, I covered it in stickers when I went to Warp Tour and I get to, to brag to everyone about how I have a custom made knee brace. Um, and it, it does suck. It sucks having to wear a knee brace. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say it's fun. It's not always comfortable. Like, if I have the knee brace strapped on so that it's, like, situated correctly when I'm standing up, uh, when I go to sit down, it sometimes, like, shifts kind of weird and then it's uncomfortable. Um, so, in that sense, just, you know, sometimes having that humor and embracing those things can help. But on the other hand, I, I do want to be clear that sometimes when you're struggling, um, it's not always easy to have that. And like I wrote, so I was a psychology major in college and I wrote my senior thesis paper. Um, so I took a class for my like thesis uh, on positive psychology. Right. And I wrote my paper on gratitude journals, basically arguing that having a gratitude journal, which is where, you know, you list you know every day or every week or whatever you list things you're grateful for i argue that that can be very helpful to people struggling with depression or or just you know helping people in general feel feel happier and feel that's better. that's why um, the song um beautiful things by grayscale yeah to me so yeah. so much to me it's so good like i will listen to that car and that song in the car like any day or like anywhere it's just so very uh, it's powerful. It's it's very powerful. Like it's it's not, and it's it's cool because like a lot of people, you know, that talk about like you know, like you mentioned before, you know, they say, "What do you have to, you know, be sad about?" Sad yeah. about exactly, and and but and people are like, "Oh, but life is you know, a great experience." Blah 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 blah. But like, right? It's not always song, easy to see that. But that you know? song is very, you know, um, like my thing is like when he says like talks about Kelly Green Eyes and um stuff like that it's very you know when you just the way he puts it in his words when colin like writes that song it's incredible and very powerful and it's one of the most powerful songs i've ever heard definitely and i and i it, it that you know get, gets back to what i was saying just that you know it is huge to do things i mean i've done and the reason i wrote my senior thesis paper the way i did was because i had done a gratitude journal of sorts for like two solid years straight. Um, and it, it helped me so much. It really, really did. And, and I definitely recommend anyone giving that a try. Like it, it's hard sometimes, but it, it did help me a ton um, to like force myself to reflect every single day on things I was grateful for. Right. Um, or or happy about or something good that happened every single day, even on the shittiest of days. But sometimes it's better to focus more on the you know happy than you know because yeah helps. But but sometimes it it's you know if we're gonna be honest here, depression and, and I say that because depression has been what's what's made it hard for me. Right. Um. I don't know what it's like to struggle with bipolar or an eating disorder or you know, other conditions that I've never had. But for me, sometimes depression has made it to a point where it's like, 
I don't want to fucking write a gratitude journal. What do I have to be grateful for? Everything sucks. And, you know, I, I am totally a believer in the idea of approaching life with a positive attitude. Uh, but, you know, I think we need to acknowledge that sometimes it's not easy, you know, and, and sometimes like when you're struggling, sometimes what you can do is just be honest. And and that's sometimes just what you need to do. It's weird, you know, when I, um, when I've dealt with anything, cause, uh, especially like bipolar is so freaking weird. It's, um, it's crazy. Cause like one, one moment, you know, I could be sad about, you know, the, the stupidest thing that I'd be overthinking about, you know, when you think about it, looking back on it and, um, you know, I, I've done this thing now where I, um, like tend to apologize for, uh, to a lot of people. Like naturally I've always said sorry more than I really should. But, um, more recently, like I'm kind of like more aware and the sorry kind of feels more genuine. Like I, you know, I'm not necessarily like apologizing for my feelings, but like a lot of people, you know, don't get that. Like, you know, some days I, you know, can be completely like, just good but like it's not even a day like it's an hour you know like it's just hours at a time it's very it's very weird like when my uh when I was younger um I would be upset at my dad and then um you know something that helps me get back to a better place is like television so like watching like something on the screen just like letting my mind like forget about everything is very good for me so like when I was younger I'd get upset at my dad and um I would watch tv and um then like I would complain on like Facebook or Twitter and he'd get like upset about that and he'd yell at me for it, but he'd call me melodramatic, but it's, but I've stopped. Uh, one of the things I've stopped doing is posting a lot of like, I try and I try to stay away from like negativity on social media because a lot of it like is what, you know, I won't be feeling that same thing, um, in the next, like, you know, 30 minutes even. So like a lot of, you know, I could turn around in like seven seconds, which is kind of why, you know, I'm not necessarily grateful, but like, it's very, it's very relieving to know that like some of, you know, what I do feel, even though it's like, seems existential, it's not, you know, very, it's not as hard as, you know, constant dread or, you know, stuff like that, you know, that people, cause I feel like depression sometimes can get a hold of you for days at a time. Mine. Um, oh, totally. Totally. Right. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, as days, but carry on. It's, it's a weird thing. Depression is a weird thing. And it's like, you know, you always try to put it into words. Um, and I, I think especially for me having a, a combination of depression and anxiety, it's like you want, to do things and you want to like feel the motivation to do things you and just can't like terrified right and like you're terrified and stressed out that the world is going to fall apart and if you don't do things you know it's interesting to notice but, um, especially but then you we just are all in the music can't. industry um because the music industry is 100 percent like a you know always running always like whatever the business is 24 seven. And, um, sometimes it's hard to like get away from it all. No matter, I don't know, like, I don't know how, you know, many emails you're responding to or like whatever, but like even me, like something is like browsing, uh, Twitter or looking at my like past YouTube comments or like whatever, you know, a lot of, um, 
like I can't get away from, you know, what I do in that industry. And so I feel like for some people, especially people that work in it, you know, it's hard to kind of clear your head and take a break because sometimes it feels overwhelming, but you just want to, you know, you feel like it, you know, the world would end if you stop. Right. Definitely. And, and something, something else that I, I've, been thinking about recently uh, a conversation I had with someone uh, a couple months ago that you know I I used to think that like people who were musicians like they they can be open and honest and they can talk about their shit and everything they go through you know mental illness or suicide or you know dealing with grief and loss or a breakup you know that that musicians can like talk and be open but I felt for a really long time I mean, number one, I thought for a really long time that no one in the industry struggled with any of that shit. I thought everyone in the industry just totally had their shit together. Um, and and I thought that as someone on the industry side of things, I thought I wasn't able to or, or allowed to share any part of myself. Um, and it was like, you know, I, I wanted to connect with people and, and share parts of myself and I wanted to be honest but I I didn't feel like I can and I I think it was like this need to be quote-unquote professional um but I I don't know I'm I'm I mean especially you know as as of recently I mean I have so many friends that are music journalists or writers or interviewers or photographers um and I've seen so many people talking recently about number one about Chester Bennington passing away and number two about their own experiences. Uh, and I'm realizing that so many of these people are also feeling the same things that I feel or have felt, uh, or, or they have their own things that are going on. Um, and that's a really weird feeling there too, to be like, Oh, it's so weird. It's, it's a very strange thing. And like, I don't know. I don't know how really to put that because you can't explain it well. But when you're going through all of this and you realize that somebody's there, like someone else, like you're not alone. And again, that sounds so cliche, but it's so like it's the best way to describe it. And and I think it's there's a lot to that. You know, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And I just, you know, I just hope that like, again, I just said it, I guess, I don't know how many times I said it now, but I really hope that there's something that comes out of this discussion wise where people can get some more information on it and they can be a little bit more aware and you know maybe the next time and I don't, again we can't really speculate on you know specifically with Chester Bennington why you know he did you know why he did commit suicide and that but I, I think in terms of the why you know you're right like we'll never know the details but I, I think someone put I, I don't even remember who put it this way but someone said that suicide happens when pain exceeds the resources for coping with pain and people always want to know why someone did it but well and it takes it takes a lot of effort to. to want to you know like not want but like 
feel like you have to, you know, end your life. Like, you know, when I think about like, I've always thought of myself, you know, as, you know, I have mental health issues, but I never thought that I myself would ever get this that far. But like, I mean, even that, like I've thought about, you know, um, suicide before I've never actually attempted, but like, you know, it's, that's all, you know, it starts with is the thought. And, you know, a lot of what I've gone through has been just so, you know, sometimes it feels so you don't understand it unless you're in that headspace. And sometimes I'm not in that headspace so um like again like it just feels like you know you have to really really want like not want but like really really feel it to like actually commit suicide you know it's a lot of you know like for me I don't want to do work half the time like not trying to be funny but like doing things is very you know it's easier than not doing things or um the opposite whatever you know what I mean um yeah uh I just think it's it's very you know specific you want you have to like have a you know reason as to you know the whole spiel of suicide yeah you get I mean I was you know and this is something that I had uh talked about you know with Logan over we were we were texting uh the other day about it when we were saying we need to talk about this on the air uh and this is something that you know it's like an incident that like I never shared publicly with anyone ever really um, when I was 14, I was struggling, right? I was really struggling with depression and I don't even know what the incident was that like exactly spurred it at that, that moment, but it was the day after Christmas and I was just sitting on my bed, essentially writing like a note, right? Like essentially writing a note that I was just ready to end things. Um, and I decided to put music on and Adam's song by Blink-182 just like came up on shuffle and it in a way and and this goes back to what we were talking about of of having that thing to relate to that just in a way it kind of it snapped me out you know Um, a lot of a lot of music journalists something that I read not necessarily relating to mental health but um there was an article that um, was, I think it was about public relations and how it's not necessarily, it never can be a bad thing. Like a lot of people, you know, have that negative connotation, but um, the article actually said that uh, a lot of, you know, whether you don't think it or not, like a lot of music journalists that are interviewing a band, you know, they are fans of that music. So not only are they working with it in a professional sense, but you know, a lot of what they do is very, um, like, you know, they're, they're, they're a fan of that music. So, um, well, well, let's, let's be honest, like being a music journalist, like you both know this. Uh, I know that a lot of the people that are going to listen to this are probably also journalists because that's like who I'm friends with. Uh, it's kind of not, not thankless, but like, it's a lot of work. You don't always get a lot of recognition or a lot of pay. Um, so why would you do it unless you were a fan? You know, exactly, exactly. No, that's a good point. And, you know, I did, Molly, I kind of wanted to go back to, I know you were talking about when you were, you know, starting to write this note and the listen to music. And I do want to say real quick that like, yeah, that like what I like, again, like, cause I tried to, you know, commit suicide when I was 16 and, and I, you know, did the same thing. I wrote this note and that I think is one of the hardest things to do. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like that almost like writing that almost talked my own self out of it because I was like writing it 
and I was like, holy shit, you know, someone is going to read this that I care about, you know, and at that time I was living with my mom, so I knew that she would have been the first one to read it, and I thought about that a lot, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, like this, this is going to like, as much as this like pains me to be here, this is going to crush her immensely, and it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of, I don't, I don't know, I don't really know the best way to put it, but it's so hard to do it, and I mean, it's you know, like your gut instinct. Your the the most basic instinct we have as humans is to live, right? You know? and you're so, going against that. And I mean, I don't right. know. It's and that's how you know, like it's like serious. I mean, obviously, it's a serious thing. Yeah. But if you ever like actually, you know, feel this way, I, I I it's it's a very hard realization to come to when you think that this is the best way yeah. to do things, and it's tough. And you know, to be honest she did end up finding that. And obviously, you know, I, you know, I'm still here. And, you know, I remember her finding that and it was like the worst thing in the world. I mean, watching her like talk about it was one of the worst things. And I think that like, that it's, I really like, I know people, when you're going through this, you don't, you don't think that a lot of people will care and you don't think that it's going to hurt people, but it's going like, it does hurt people and it makes them think about a lot. And, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I wish that there was something I could like say to people who were going through this to make them, you know, understand that. And it's not their fault that they don't understand. It's not, it's not anyone's necessarily, you know, necessarily like their fault that they don't understand right. that people do care about them because it's just something you don't see. And that's, that's okay to not see that, you know, but I just, I wish that there was something I could do because it's one of the like toughest things in the world to like see people react to like, you know, you almost like dying. And it's especially at like such a young, especially from like, like a family perspective, that's so tough. And, you know, that's why when people say, you know, all it's, you know, a selfish act, that's so like wrong. So it's, it's, it's just tough. And I wish people could understand like that perspective is it's never a selfish act. And it's just something that you have to like, you know, be able to at least try to understand where they're coming from and then, you know, just do everything you can to talk about it and kind of, you know, get them to the, you know, get them the resources they need. Exactly. Right. And I think, you know, something that was huge for me and like this sounds, it maybe sounds cliche, but whatever. I mean, you know, something that was huge for me was being like 14, 15 and all my favorite bands were singing about really hard times they, that they had been through and I, I kind of felt like I owed it to them to stick around in a way, you know, um, it, I, I really, really felt a lot of not, not relief, but a lot of comfort in music, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I still feel so much like hope through music and and connection and it makes you it still makes me feel less alone in, in whatever I'm going through um and I think that's in some ways why it's so hard uh to see someone like Chester Bennington pass away because he you know so many people connected so so deeply with Linkin Park's music uh and you kind of I mean, at least I know that I kind of, and, and very naively, may I add, I assumed that these, these people that were inspiring me to stick around, I assumed that they would too, 
that they would stick around. Um, and it, it's hard to realize that they're not. Um, but I I do want to thank everyone. Uh, we've we've been going for a while, but I do want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, I know this was uh, maybe a little different than you were expecting, but we did feel that it was really important. Um, mental health is incredibly important to me, to Logan, to Brad. Um, so thank you guys so much for tuning in, um, you know, listening to us talk about some personal stuff in our lives, uh, as well as situations that have gone on recently. I do want to encourage you, if you are struggling, to please, please get help. Please talk to someone. Um, you can always reach out to me, Molly. Uh, my Twitter is at mhuddleson. It's in the show notes. Uh, or reach out to the Perspective Twitter at perspective underscore pod. Um, or shoot me an email, molly at mhuddleson.com. Um, and if you're really at a point where you're really going through some tough stuff, I, I really would encourage you to get professional help as well. Um, to Write Love on Her Arms has a really fantastic list on their website. Um, you just click find help and it'll direct you to a whole list of resources uh, in your area, different counselors and things like that. If you're at a point of crisis, please call a hotline, um, 1-800-273-8255, or you can text the crisis text line, uh, send the word START to 741-741. I know it's not always easy to see that there is help and that you can get through this, but, you know, if you have survived, at at this point in your life, you know, I, I just want you, you, whoever's listening to this, I want you to know that if you have survived everything in your life until this point, you can survive today. You can survive the next thing. Please talk to someone. Um, I Please don't ever, I, I know you may feel like you're alone, but please, please talk to someone. If you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to, you can talk to me. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, I would say the same thing. You can always, you know, hit up and I mean, you can always hit up me, Molly. I'm sure Brad would be the same way where all of us are here for you. I'm sure, you know, even if you don't want to reach out to us, there are people in, you know, your life that are already close to you that would, you know, be willing to talk to you. Even if it doesn't seem like there are, you know, I can almost, you know, guarantee that people do care about you and, you know, people want to talk to you and people want to help you, you know, and it's, this never the point, you know, it's, it's never like you are as alone as you feel like you are. And I know that I don't even know if that makes sense, but like to just, it's something where I know we all feel so strongly about it and we just, we want everyone to, you know, live the life that they deserve to live. Definitely. Definitely. What he said. Brad, do you, do you, yeah. I was going to say, Brad, do you have anything you guys to summed say? Up perfectly. We... I can't really um, add anything else that would, you know, yeah, you guys said everything. Well, thank you, Brad, for coming on the show. Um, Thank you you to everyone. Of course. Um, And and thank you to everyone who's listened so far. Um, Please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Um, I have, and I can tell you it's a bomb. Oh, my God. Guys, listen (laughs) to Brad. Listen to Brad. Okay. Um, Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. We will have another episode for you next week that's kind of more back on track with normal but we did feel like this was really important to tackle this week we'll talk to you next time